Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 12. Egyptian Lounge Restaurant, Dallas, Texas, Saturday, July 27, 1963. With Sherry asleep on his shoulder, Patch followed Jack's Oldsmobile into the parking lot of the Egyptian Lounge Restaurant. He shut off the car in front of a sign for extra parking under the light pole. The neon restaurant sign covered the white and palace seats with a magenta hue. Shari, her head on his shoulder, opened her eyes wide and yawned. Where are we, Patch? We crossed Dallas on the highway. Jack patted his dog in the front seat of the 88. He closed the door and started toward the restaurant. Opening the restaurant door, Jack motioned with quick head nods for them to come inside. Patch looked into Shari's brown eyes. I thought we'd be at a hotel by now. I can't even keep my eyes open. Jack waited at the door. Come on, come on. Who are we talking to, Jack? You listen to me, Patchy. You keep your mouth shut around Mr. Campisi. He shrugged his shoulders at Sherry. Even after midnight, the music played through the speakers. Garlic and unidentifiable spices inundated the tiny restaurant. A few people sat around tables to his right. Like a moth drawn to a porch light bulb, Jack gravitated to a booth along the opposite wall. Seated at the booth was a man with dark hair so thick that the comb marks were visible on the sides. He had a straight set of teeth and piercing black eyes. The man looked over his shoulder at Patch. Again, Jack motioned with short, jerky movements. Patch placed his hand on Sherry's back and guided her across the room. A waiter with a pot belly appeared with two glasses of chilled water. An older woman wearing a white apron slid sliced scala bread on the linen tablecloth. The bread's freshly baked essence drifted through the air. Campisi put on his reading glasses and checked something off on a typed invoice. Then the woman removed it from the table. Only moments later, the bartender carried two heaping ceramic dishes of steaming lasagna. Campisi and Jack crossed the restaurant. Campisi stopped at the bar and briefly extended his hand to the little grunt with short hair above the ears and a bald scalp. Jack nodded his head as Campisi spoke. Then he disappeared into the back room. The bald guy pressed his wide lips and held Jack by the arm. I want to know the whole story, Jack. Jack flung his elbow and let the man go. Just shut up. We don't need to know anything right now. Jerry tapped Jack's arm. Am I being transferred over to personnel? How the hell do I know? Asked Jack. I can talk to Pinky Westbrook, Paul Bentley, or Nick McDonald. Jack pointed a fork at him as he spoke. They'll tell you exactly what to do when they tell you, Jerry. It's undetermined as of this time. You leave them out of this. Sherry nibbled on the lasagna for the first time. What's the big picture, Jack? Jack tossed the fork onto the counter. Listen, I'm sick and tired, and I'm heading back to my apartment. See me at the club later in the week. Jerry stared at Jack and released his grip. Then he exited out the front door. Patch raised his brows. He cut the lasagna as Sherry lifted the pasta on her fork. A short time later, Jack sidetracked over to Patch and Sherry. Patchy, the Beachcomber Motel is right down the street. You have rooms. This is good food, said Patch. Right. Listen, Patchy, they'll have the recorder and the rest of the crap here in a second. There'll be some expense money there, too. You just do what they tell you to do. 
And let me be the first to tell you, if they think you're screwing this up, they'll have somebody else do the job, and that won't bode well for either of you. You're on board now. If you try and back out of this, they'll blow your heads off. Patch looked up with a serious face. Two younger guys carried a two-by-three-foot cardboard box from the back room. Patch thanked him as they set the box on the table. Jack slapped the top of the box. Merry Christmas. He ripped open the side flap. In the center, wrapped in plastic, was an Edison portable reel-to-reel recorder. The Bakelite handheld microphone and cord was stored in the upper half of the case. Just keep the batteries fresh, it's portable. Patch lifted a dozen fresh three and a half inch tapes from a red plastic bag below. Nifty. In the newspaper packing was a long perforated pole with a set of glossy black headphones. You listen with this and you record by hooking it into the recorder. Jack removed a camera from the box, an Edexa Matte Reflex 35mm camera. Box to the right was labeled film. Jack took out another lens, the long distance. The last item in the box was a plain manila envelope. Jack handed it to Patch. I was told to keep my nose out of the envelope. The dutiful Jack spun around toward the kitchen. Patch ripped open the side and pulled out a single sheet of yellow bond paper with a typewritten address. Under the paper, a 3x5 photograph revealed a clean-cut man with a lip smile and an open-collared white shirt. No more than 20 years old, he had a crop of fluffy dark hair and pensive eyes. Meet Max at the West 6th Street Bridge, Pease Park, 1 Kingsbury Street, Austin, Texas, 4 p.m., July 27, 1963. Enclosed is a photo of Lee Oswald from two years ago. Lee Oswald, the communist, said Patch in a low voice. He looks like an average guy to me. Patch felt a stack of bills inside the envelope. He slid out another wad of hundreds. Oh boy, how much? He counted quickly and spoke under his breath. Looks like another two grand. This just keeps getting weirder and weirder. She looked into his eyes and rested her chin on her folded hands. You've got your two grand, Patchy, capiche? Capiche. As Patch drove the Impala down the state highway, headlights shone over the top of the hill behind him. He stared into the rearview mirror. What's the matter, Patch? She asked as she looked over his shoulder. I never trust cars that appear at 2.30 in the morning. It's probably nothing. You know how this thing has made us both jumpy. Jumpy and rich, answered Patch, half smiling as he checked the mirror again. I'll take the rich part. Car is gaining on us. Can you see the make and model, Sherry? White. But I don't know what it is. The kind of people we're dealing with, we can't be too careful. Patch squinted and lifted the pamphlet for the Beachcomber Motel. The interstate exit was just south of the motel. I'm going past the motel and onto the interstate, but I want you to drive. You want a race driver? I do. She slid over Patch and grabbed the wheel. The white car was less than a few hundred yards behind him now. Her speed remained consistent to the ramp. When they were almost on the highway, Ford signaled and followed them up the ramp. Once on the three lane, she gradually increased speed and turned up the radio. Patch grinned as Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire played on the speakers. We're in a ring of fire, she said. She was now traveling 70 miles an hour and accelerating up the long incline. Ford reached the highway. Upella crested the hill at 90 miles an hour. Patch stopped singing when she jammed on the brake. Then she skidded across the median and crossed the opposing lanes. 
She glided the car perpendicular to the highway and down the embankment. Patch leaped out the door and shimmied up the embankment on his stomach. She slid against his body. You are very good. I am. The station wagon crossed the hilltop and soon the glowing red taillights faded into the night. Patch put his arm around her. I have no idea who those people were, but they were definitely following us. She kissed him again. Let's get to the beach coma. A the impala are off lot. Capiche? Capiche. Return to Dallas. Chapter 13. West Street Bridge, Pease Park, Austin, Texas. July 27, 1963. 3.56 p.m. What concerns me, said Patch, as they walked in the heat toward an arched bridge over a gravelly river, is they, whoever they are, recognize your car. They have to find us first, said Sherry, which is what they did at that restaurant. Maybe it's someone who knows Jack, or someone who is tracking Jack or his buddies inside. Roselli asked me about your tag, and then McWillie asked. The sun beat down on his face. If Roselli wanted to kill us, he would have just ordered it in L.A. Roselli thinks you walk on water, Patch. I'd like to know what I did for him. She raised her brows. Maybe you held up a bank. I think it's more than that. Agreed. Patch grinned and leaned against the stone bridge's double rail fence. A light breeze cooled the sizzling Texas sun. He wiped his brow on his Hawaiian shirt sleeve. I was looking at the map. There's a whole stretch of beach along Galveston. I heard there was a god-awful hurricane there around the turn of the century. The beach got wiped out and houses went out to sea. Oh, I saw it. It looks beautiful now on that little map picture. She held both hands and looked up. Incredible that someone has selectively erased your memory. My personal memory. Other things someone didn't want me to remember. Right. They held hands as they turned back to the stream. I keep asking myself what these people are up to. Oswald is being watched by someone with a vested interest, said Sherry. Whatever we observe will help that vested interest. I don't think they care about us as much as they care about where this Oswald is. What would Bond do? She opened her eyes wide and then gripped the fence as she employed her British accent. Sleep it off. Oh, really? asked Patch with a sly grin. Mr. Kincaid, you have gotten us into enough trouble. I have just begun. His smile dropped as a man with an open cocky shirt and slacks walked deliberately toward the bridge. This must be Max. Max wore a green baseball cap and wore black work boots. He gave a quick nod and his smile trailed upward. Max, you are Lemon and Lime from Dallas. Nice to meet you, said Patch, shaking his hand. Max nodded at Sherry. Ma'am, let me tell you both that Dallas is not as hostile as people might say. Even the president has come to Dallas in November. Great, said Patch, wiping his brow again. I'm sure our meeting has to do with the Oswald surveillance. Yes, sir. Does. You have a photograph of the subject? Yes, said Patch, taking out his wallet. I have an updated photo, said Max, as Patch handed him the picture of the fluffy-haired man. Max placed another tiny photo in Patch's hand. This photo is current. By the way, this will be the only time you'll meet me. Max now faced the river and placed his hands on the bridge rails. I'm here to give you a few ground rules of engagement. Yours is a singular operation for which you will be well paid. You will send, via three and a half inch tapes, a concise and accurate 
verbal report of the surveillance of Lee Oswald. Do not, and I repeat, do not operate outside that boundary. Stay away from Oswald. Don't let him know you're there. I would ask you also not to deal with Jack Ruby. He has accomplished his job. Understood. If there's trouble, meaning if your lives are threatened or your cover is blown, you will immediately call your original contact, whoever that is. Get out a notebook. Sherry held out a pen and a tiny black notebook. Do not arrive in New Orleans until the evening of 1st August. The following morning, at 900 hours, your envelope will appear in the Lafayette Square station in the government building. The box assigned to you is Post Office Box 300543. Again, do not let the subject know you are watching him. How long will Oswald be under surveillance? asked Sherry. You'll know. When you mail the tapes, do not include a return address. Send them to Mr. Ed Torres, P.O. Box 2119, New York, New York. Return any paperwork in your next mailing. I have it, said Sherry as she wrote down the remaining numbers. Torres will get the tapes to you, asked Patch. Yes, sir, but Torres is not to be involved in this in any way. Memorize the address. Call your original contact with any problems and you'll have a local contact in New Orleans. Do you have any questions? They shook their heads in unison. Drive to your post office box in New Orleans on Friday, 2nd of August, 1100 hours. Use the lemon and lime names with your contact. We will, said Patch. What do we do in the meantime? You've been granted downtime until the operation commences, said Max, smiling. Please wait here for additional instructions. Good luck. Patch shook his hand. We'll get it done, ma'am, he said again, nodding to Sherry. Max turned slowly and proceeded along the bridge. The breeze picked up, cooling the sweat on Patch's brow. Max rounded the tree clump at the river's edge. If old Max isn't military, then I'm Snow White, said Patch. Funny you don't look like Snow White, she said, smiling. Patch returned the smile and pointed at her. You are a pain. So I've been told. Patch wiped his brow. Sure is hot out here. Patch, how does Rosselli fit in with the surveillance of this Lee Oswald? Patch shook his head as he looked back along the road. And who is Torres? Who the hell knows? Patch again pictured seeing Max somewhere. Obviously, they want to check on Mr. Oswald. That would mean that he's doing a part of something else, something bigger. Exactly. She locked her arm around him and they stared into the ever-moving stream. Patch felt secure with her touch. You are a lemon? Asked a deep voice from behind. That's him, said a chunky, dark-haired man with a Spanish accent. He shook Patch's hand. A man shorter than Patch with pinpoint dark eyes and hair flapped over his head ground his teeth together. The man says he wasn't in Cuba. Mr. Barker? He said, still unsure if this man was Barker. Kincaid, I have made some calls. Mr. Traficanti is convinced you have not been in Cuba for the past year and a half. And frankly, that is irrelevant to him and me. I am here for one reason. It's the same reason why I left Batista with my family to go to Miami. We know you didn't open your mouth about Carlos Sanchez, and then you and your professor friend tracked him down and killed him. We all think you have balls, Kincaid. I know that Mr. Traficante does too. That took some doing. 
I appreciate your confidence. After Sanchez died, we had the missile crisis. The world is an unsafe place. You're probably asking yourself, what is this tracking of Oswald all about? I've thought about it. Only natural. During the war, I was a bombardier on board a B-17 Flying Fortress. I ended up in Starlock Loof 1 when we crashed. Sixteen months later, the Russians opened up a camp and we were all free. I learned to accept a lot of things and keep my mouth shut. Just remember that when you're following Oswald. Don't ask questions. He squeezed Patch's hand tightly. Let's keep the world safe. We need to do what we need to do. The many are more important than the one. Patch nodded. Barker left without saying anything to Sherry. A hundred feet down the road, they walked by a 1959 blue Chevy. The dark-haired man behind the wheel set down a pair of binoculars. Who the hell is he? As Patch moved with Sherry down the road, the car engine started, but the guy did not drive away as they approached the open window. He wore a light blue shirt and sipped on a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Howdy, said Patch, looking at the binoculars on the vinyl seat. Can I help you? Gee, I don't know. If I were a suspicious guy, I'd think you were spying on us. I like to watch the birds along the river, all the way from North Carolina. I have relatives here in Austin. Well, have a nice trip back, said Patch as they walked along the car. Sherry opened her eyes intensely as she stared at him. Patch saw the dealership name in chrome, which was attached above the rear bumper. He waited till they were further down the road. Woolsey Chevrolet, Nags Hill, North Carolina. Maybe he is watching the birds. Let me be honest with you, Patch. I'm scared. I have a bad feeling about all of this. She unwrapped a foiled juicy fruit. Maybe I'm making more of that guy than I need to. Oh, and Patch, there's a sticker on those binoculars. Like an official sticker like a company might put on something they own. The name Buck was written below. Really? OP921E2. And I got his tag number. 101-81939. Patch placed his hands on her shoulders. Why do I now feel this is more important than we thought? Because it is. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.